Megan, I'm your podcast host at Doing Girly Things. Sorry about that noise. I work as a project manager on a construction site. Here at the podcast Doing Girly Things, we are changing the mindset around STEM careers and making them girly things to do. No one should ever have to feel like their career doesn't make them feminine. I have a passion for making construction seem like a girly thing that everyone should try and do, and I can't wait to show you eight other women who are a wealth of knowledge in various industries, from app design, technical marketing, to even working in a steel manufacturing plant. The first season is a series of conversations from graduates of Purdue University. This podcast aims to show you that we aren't sitting just crunching numbers and why more women should join some of the highest paying jobs that are available. All the women that I interview will be doing inspiring, fulfilling, and most of all, girly things. This podcast aims to cultivate a community of women to talk about the embarrassing stories of that one time you called your boss the wrong name in an email to where can you find cute steel toe boots. A combination of humor, gossip, and intellectual conversation with women and men advocates. Join us every other week at Doing Girly Things. This is your host, Megan, here, and I just want to let you know that the audio quality in today's podcast is a little below average, but the content is definitely above average, so I hope you can enjoy it, and I will definitely have to have my friend Kimberly back on when both of our audios are working properly, so you can hear all of the wonderful information that Kimberly has to share about six-figure salaries recruiting and how to get the most out of negotiating. Kimberly, welcome to the podcast, Doing Girly Things, a podcast where we discuss about changing the stereotype around engineering and STEM and making a girly thing to do. And so I met Kimberly at Purdue University. Her and I connected through Club Women in Technology. And then her and I have just always stayed connected through social media. And so um, she graduated with a degree in computer information technology. She runs an Instagram account account, lipstick and tech. And I'm super excited to talk with her today because um, I actually recently just got a job promotion um, this week, actually. And I found Kimberly because I was listening to her on a podcast episode. And on the podcast episode, she was talking about making six figures, what it's like to make six figures under 30 years old. And it turns out that that's actually a hot topic that people are wanting to know about. So Kimberly, tell us about moving from the West Coast, why you um, decided that was where you wanted to move to. And yeah, you know, well, first of all, thanks for having me on. Um, the club that uh, Megan and I were in was, a re- we were a really passionate group of people trying to make tech a more welcoming place. So how fitting that post-grad that we would continue to do the same work. Uh, but anyway, uh, regarding kind of my decision to move out, uh, I am not from the Midwest. I originally came from the East Coast. And so I had a lot of my plate as far as trying to decide where I wanted to kind of settle. And it didn't actually start off with me going to the West Coast. I had decided as I was job hunting to kind of keep the keep local to where I was going to school. And so I just found myself in the Chicago area. And ultimately, I wasn't really happy about the tech scene, um, or the, at least where I was falling in in the Midwest. When it came to opportunities, there was another city. Indy is a very popular city as well for tech, and I know we have a growing base. But when I got discouraged from the, my, my I guess at the time, the what I thought was my inability. 
relatively defined work at the time. I figured, you know what, where are the other tech capitals of the country? I just didn't, you know, for me, that vision was rather um, where I actually grew up, which is, you know, the Washington, D.C. area. Um, you would have probably heard the DMV before, D.C., Maryland, Virginia. Mm-hmm. I was so keen on moving out from where I grew up that that was just not an option for me at the time. Um, and I think a lot of people could relate yep. to being like, <laughs> screw it, getting out, of the, getting out of the hometown. But, you know, there are other people that, like, there's are social ties are there. I totally get it. It just wasn't for me. Um, and then the other two, I guess the three options that I really had in my head, as you can tell, I'm looking at big cities when I'm doing all this, right? But ultimately, I decided, I heard a lot of exciting things coming out of California, you know, not only just where I am now, which is, you know, San Francisco area, but also in LA. But ultimately, ultimately, I decided to move to uh, the Bay Area, partially because I knew I had a lot of great opportunities. And we will probably talk about um, what I currently do in my 9 to 5. But uh, the, the company, Salesforce, uh, they are a software as a service or a cloud-based software as a service. And their headquarters is San Francisco. And so me having kind of a grand vision was, hey, you know, if Salesforce is there, maybe my chances of getting into the ecosystem uh, is better if I move out there. A small portion of it is, as we all know, social ties. And uh, social ties are really important to at least feeling like the human from outside of work, right? Mm-hmm. So obviously, I was very influenced by the fact that my, my partner had moved out here a year, a year before I did. Yes. So I was a strong independent woman. I decided I wasn't moving for a man. So, <laughs> as a joke. So, so that's ultimately, um, it was kind of the nail in the coffin as far as me officially deciding to move out here. And so um, I know there's a big group of people that whenever you say that they move interchangeably from like LA to New York City, they say that it's almost interchangeable. Do you think that there is a lot of people that move from Chicago out to the San Francisco area? Or is it, is that not really that same sort of comparison can be made? I'm under the impression that's not quite it. I, you know, every part of, every one of these pods kind of has their own culture. And, and I can say mm-hmm. that as, you know, being an East Coaster, right? I, and it doesn't just apply to, you know, location and moving like once you graduate. I mean, I went to, uh, I, I went to like a busy, you know, I grew up in a busy city. We had like a really diverse, you know, school system. So going to, I, a, you know, a university campus where, you know, the diversity was mostly contributed from the international students. That's fascinating in itself. And so I kind of find that very similar change with, like, I felt that me when I moved from Chicago, I think it's undersold when you graduate from university about what what life you're opting into. And so I think that's ultimately why I've just, you know, admittedly not become a homeowner, not, you know, not with the obviously of the obviousness of like having to be able to afford a home, but also with the fact that, you know, do you, do you want to be in this place for more than five years, right? And so mm-hmm. I have not made that personal decision for myself yet because I am still trying to figure out if I like the new style that I've opted into, right? And so yeah. everything is expensive in certain regions of the country, and I just happen to opt into a, a very expensive city. Um, and so the way that, you know, and this is, of course, uh, when we eventually start talking about how do you manage your finances to, yeah. to get the lifestyle you want. Um, but the first thing that comes to mind always is, you know, if, if rent is city, you know, it's expensive in your city, uh, you got rather negotiate to you know, try to get more of it. But then once you hit the cap, quote unquote, of where you're going, then you have to start reeling it in. You know, are you budgeting? Are you, um, or in my case, that's the way that I did. I just happened to work out that I have a partner who doesn't mind living with me. <laughs> so we, we split rent. You have to get roommates uh, if you need to. Some people opt in for more roommates. And we live outside of the city. Um, maybe hopefully that will eventually change where I can kind of opt into a more social social uh, city i i just happen to live in a suburb so you know you can imagine in your 20s uh, the suburbs are not quite as exciting i know what you mean and so what do you use then for budgeting then because i tried to create um, an excel sheet is kind of what i've been using the past three years but i know that there are some really automated ways to do it and so do you connect any have you connected any of those with your apps your banking app you know that's a great question i would have to say okay so i'm gonna age myself a little here but i'm reaching i'm reaching my 30s and in my early 20s oh you could not tell me about it but i 
was I knew I was, you know, I knew at the time that I was like kind of broke, but, and I'm not talking about um, after I graduated because I was very, very blessed and very lucky even compared to my sisters where I was able to pay through my school and my undergraduate. Um, I left school debt free. And so I think if I had had that added pressure at the time of doing loans, maybe I would have, you know, at, at a certain point, I, I, when I think back, I wonder if I would have been better with money sooner if I had opted into making the choice to be more aware of my finances. And I mean, ultimately, that's the hardest thing that people need to acknowledge is know your financial state. And obviously, um, one of the things that for me uh, in particular, um, and, and it's certainly, I think, in the last year and a half, I'd say probably late 2018 is when I finally realized that, okay, maybe it's time to reel it in and figure out where I am financially. And if I, I can't be asking for all these wants, if I, you know, don't even realize what I need. Um, and so I love your, the reason why, you know, as great as all these tools are out there, um, I think the first thing in fact you do need to do is use Excel. Um, late 20, I think I would say, uh, late 2019 is when I started pulling out Excel sheets. Mm -hmm. So, one of the, but if I had any other apps to recommend to kind of get like a general gist of where you are, I think a lot of people tell you to start with your network, but if you don't know how to calculate your network, obviously that's a hard stop. Um, there are apps like um, Mint, uh, which is an Intuit product, um, and Personal Capital, which are both free. I have, if there were any apps I would tell anybody to get, it would be those two, too, because they give you live updates and they seem to be the best part as being able to link up to not only your bank accounts and your credit card, um, but also with. Uh, your FSA, sorry, your um, your HSAs. Uh, if you have any like kind of student loan accounts, I will sometimes even put in um, you know my, my my Comcast and Verizon accounts because the tools um, at least on the mid side will pull in your bills. Uh, mm -hmm. So you can actually regularly do the physical budget on there too. However, I usually use them as kind of like a monitoring um, and a way for me to kind of motivate, motivate myself. Honestly, that's really where it comes from. Is you know, there's something very satisfying about seeing your net worth go up. Mm, yes, I yep. <laughs> and that and that's the whole thing too. Is when and that's why we started to uh, gamify. Um, well, you know, if you gamify your finances, you'll start noticing that you're being more cognizant of like what you buy and what you, what you build for yourself. And so I think it's also part of the reason why I was finally aware of the fact that uh, me becoming a six-figure um, salary person is very new to me. I was, I have not, and I think part of it was because I was so underpaid before, but then when I was starting to notice how underpaid I was, that was the final problem. Yeah. I love what you just said about gamify. Like, I love the idea of gamifying the how to save money because I do think that there is this, like, whenever I think, so I just got a Betterment account. And one thing that I'm, like, starting to become really passionate yeah. about is, is, like, I th I've been reading a lot and, like, it took me forever to sign up for a Betterment account. And then my dad was like, yeah. Megan, you have all of this money just sitting a savings account that's making like not any money what are you doing and I started getting on some of these accounts you know women for investing in this and it was like women just don't go and do it like men are so much like okay yeah uh you want me to start saving money and put up some money into the investment and like women were like we don't know enough money like let me learn more let me learn more and then my dad's like this is all you need to do to start it and literally I, no joke I have doubled yep. the amount of money I have made in the past two weeks of having my money in my Betterment account than what I did having it a year in my high interest savings. There's this, and I, I mean, this is obviously not a, I'm not a finance mm -hmm. uh, educator. I, I can promise you that. But I, one of the first, and I will say that is one of the first things for anybody who just doesn't think their money is right, get an accountability partner. And mm -hmm. that, I think that was the most life changing thing for me because uh, a lot of what is money is very emotional. And women, as we've kind of learned and how we negotiate and how we improve um, ourselves in the office, we're, we're not, we've been kind of taught, at least as a society, you know, all this inner society needs kind of pop up in my head. But the idea that we are, you know, like, we're kind of boxed in as far as like talking about money. And I love this kind of this new evolution of women in finance that are coming out and they're saying, listen, we are falling behind. 
And I thought as well for the longest time that, you know, I'm not earning enough, so maybe I don't need to think about it. Like, well, did I, had, I, had I started with even just $10 a week, $5 a week for some time, you know, when Acorns was free, I was really getting into it. But uh, well, once I got into the six-figure salary thing, I, I finally forced my hand. I was like, well, I have no excuses right now. I started putting money aside. And that saved me so much during the pandemic because um, I had just gotten that six-figure job. I was so proud of myself. I negotiated, which I, that blew my mind, too. First of all, I was already in a class that I was being underpaid. And I, ended up, and I had a really great colleague. And he and I openly talked about money. We had both worked at that job. He had a couple of months on me, but we had both worked at that job. He had a master's degree, and he was earning the same amount as I did. Was already that. <laughs> then I looked at him, and this is a guy. I looked at him. What? You have a master's degree yeah. more than I have. And you know, don't get me wrong. We have to acknowledge the fact that yes, sometimes it's like nice. You know, it's, it's understandable when you're. You know, you can't look inwards. Like, like I have to wonder what one of the other colleagues who was in a different state. I didn't have as much of a close relationship with him, so I really wish at some point maybe I should have asked him. But. I have no problem if I have like a close, you know, kind of a closer relationship with my colleague. I do not fault him at all. If he if he had made more than me, I would not have faulted him at all. I would kind of put up mm-hmm. the analytical hat or like, okay, well, um, kind of break down why he had the same salary as I do. You know, he, maybe he had worked the job longer than I did. Maybe he had more education than I did. Maybe he had different certifications with the company values. When you start breaking that down, and that's when a lot, you hear all the stories about people like, okay, this is the final straw when you find out that you're a other colleague and never get mad at the colleague. And don't get yes. so hard on yourself. Yes. Really, the important thing is just learning the lesson. And that's kind of what I took from being underpaid. Like, wait, I have some great skills. I am reaching out to my network. I, as I'm job hunting, I'm making mental notes of what the recruiter thinks the salary is. I'm talking to communities online, which there's a million Facebook, Twitter. You could literally throw a number into the ether. And obviously, there were people who just want to tear you down. Don't listen to the people trying to tear you down. Listen mm-hmm. to the people who are telling you that seems reasonable or why isn't that reasonable. Like, hear the why. Don't hear the yes or no. And I think ultimately, when I kind of did that back and forth, and I started digging into recruiting agency white papers, which those are also a thing. Uh, as a Salesforce professional, uh, niche salary case studies are really great um, as far as kind of trying to interpret, like, what does the recruiter see? And if I think about what the recruiter sees, then I can kind of break it down myself. And ultimately, I went from, let's see if I can remember the numbers right, but I basically went from, you know, basically, it was very shocking for me, you know, my tax, when I was doing my taxes every I didn't really think about it. Like, oh, wait, I'm getting tax refunds. That's kind of cool. And I have a, my partner is not, has never got tax refunds. So I should have probably put two and two together and realized that I was definitely underpaid for even the market that I was working and living in to getting a six-figure salary, which was already insane for me. And I'm actually going to be starting a new job soon. And oh, I was able to negotiate even more. Thank you. I, and it's just, it blows my mind. I talked to, um, again, my, my finance accountability partner. She's very into uh, financial independence, retire early. Um, it's, 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 a, it's a grouping of the financial um, education system where there are those, like younger people who are trying to retire early. And she's kind of like the slower version. She has no qualms about retiring at like 55, but she's hoping that maybe she can get there around like, I don't think she's holding enough off the top of her head, but I think she's trying to just get it before 55, right? And live the lifestyle that she wants. And so while personal, it's amazing how personal finance can be interwoven into career development. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons why is because you have to start thinking like capitalists and start measuring. You have to put a marker. You have to put a number on yourself. And how do you bring value to uh, to a company? And when you start shifting your mentality um, in the job hunting process and the career building process of how you can bring value to uh, companies, and I, and I don't mean just corporate. I mean even like a small business. Once you start having that mind shift, you actually start wrapping that up a lot of your decisions based on that. Oh, you know, I'm really interested in having this. You know, I want a new laptop. What's the ROI? You know, what's the return on investment in me having this new laptop? And when you actually think about it, you actually start realizing that you're making better financial choices and you're not buying just one because there's no problem having one but then when you go back to your priority list right when like when you start mm-hmm. thinking about you know does this bring me to the next step of what i want in life then that's it and yes free time can also be that part of it too if you are so burnt out then maybe you staying home on a sunday is more important for you than taking another job because ultimately you realize when you burn out 
you can't do anything for two weeks. Yep. It's actually kind of funny. Right before you and I started recording this podcast, my friend comes over to me and, hey, can you look at my resume? What do you think about it? Do you think it needs more white space in it? Yeah. And I had just got done looking at your Instagram before this podcast. And I like showed her the little clip that you made that was like a recruiter looks at your resume for six seconds. And she was like, you know, if I add more white space, then it's going to make this a two page resume. And I was like, honey, Barack Obama doesn't need a two page resume. Like, you don't need one either like you (laughs) you need to like uh, and so I really love what you're doing and what is um kind of the biggest confidence booster you've got because like for for me whenever I had to negotiate a salary I actually listened to this to this podcast and it was so funny because I was like right before the podcast I was like you know I give them a call and then they're like giving me all these tips and literally within one minute the guy's like oh that was a mistake you were supposed to get that so like what would you because I know you you give the motivation but how have you besides these accountability groups like where do you find it great question i know for me personally um here's the fun thing about negotiating and, and as someone who's been having to negotiate i don't like negotiating with parents i don't like negotiating with boyfriend i don't like <laughs> but when i think about negotiation i kind of you know there's a lot of people a lot of people who are afraid of negotiation have the mentality and have a thought of i have to ask if I like. mm-hmm. and, and one of the things one of the things that i kind of take in into the, the mentality of my machining i have to make it so hard for them though start thinking about okay how do i make this such a good deal for them but they'll one want to hire me two want to give me what Want. And so I read this really great book, and I have this recommended from a friend, and you can find it actually. I hope I'm a big reader. Any audiobook in my life, I use the library resources to get it for free. So there's this really great book called Never Slip the Difference, and oh, I think the, yes. the, the tagline is Never Slip the Difference, negotiating as, as if your life depended on it. And Chris bought uh, and he was a negotiator for the FBI and negotiated with terrorists. Like, already that alone is a compelling uh, book to not just in itself, but one of the bad things that I learned from that book is, once again, that lesson, but uniquely realizing that if I can kind of come in with all that research ahead of time and have an idea of what we want before you even hop on the call, I think a lot of people think that we shouldn't probably talk about uh, like an actual an actual number until a little further Process. But the reality is, is you gotta remember your time. You know, people make jokes about your time and money. But ultimately, one of the things that you can do is a lot of people tell you actually to not start with a range, uh, which is a very unique position itself. If you mm-hmm. can finesse it, it's more important to ask the person that you're negotiating with what their budget is. Some of them will tell you that, and what your budget is. I like that. But if you can start yeah. off, what, and, and the reason why they that is because one, the advantage of being able to ask that first is because then you know what number scares them away, and you can mm-hmm. kind of make that analysis for yourself. Of if you write the job description and then they tell you a number um, of like where their high end is, if you don't think that's worth your money or the company you know if you don't think the other you know the other benefits of taking that job are worth it then yeah you, you've got to be able to be okay with walking away and notice this is not even the negotiating stage this is i just got it you know somebody saw my resume and was like oh this looks like a candidate and you're hopping on the phone with them and i can tell you most of the time that i talk to people in the past year and a half during my job on process i needed to have an idea of what the recruiter is looking for sometimes those recruiters will come from agencies and sometimes the recruiters will come from the actual company that you're trying to get but either way most of them will want to knock that question out or at least the good recruiters would want to know that because then they don't have to waste their time and you don't cure then there's at least a mutual understanding of i have myself this way and it didn't matter what i love they that the recruiting process is pretty tedious and it can go on for two, three yeah. weeks for some of these jobs. And so I like the idea of starting out with what's your budget, but because it's, it's kind of like just being upfront with somebody, like when you start dating someone, you know, like how do you, what are you, what's your opinions around alcohol? Right. What's your opinions around this? And so it's just setting like the boundaries for that. And so I have a question for you. So I came across a job and I was reading the job description yeah. and at the the end of the job description it came it said this is an entry level position and you will be paid as such but the job range on the LinkedIn profile set but was um like 68 to 93,000 dollars for like the starting range and so 
Would you, if you read that as the job description, would you even bother applying for that job? Or do you, or do you think that like sometimes whenever they have um, descriptions that are so harsh that it, it is so clear cut that that it, that there there is no negotiation for the wage? Wow, you know, I'm talking from what I would do, but that almost strikes me as a red flag. Hmm. I agree with you. I agree with you. But the reason why, you know, I'm, I'm not ready yet to opt out is one of the things that people, you know, I think especially as tech professionals, we think that other tech people are writing these, you know, these descriptions online, and they're absolutely not. What happens is, and I have seen this from my boss, like I think, and this is how it really solidified it, I saw it actually happen in front of me. I had a manager who needed to get more programming talent. I'm not that. I think most of the people in my company were or were not. We, we knew we had to look outward. And so, the, you know, HR knows that they need more help. So they go to the tech company, you know, the tech professionals inside of the company. They're really versed in it or they haven't done any Googling, I guess. But don't go to that person. And the tech people will give a wish list. You know, they're the ones who are determining the wish list. So yeah. a lot of entry-level people, when they're looking at these things, that's why we have the, the joke out on the internet about entry-level jobs meaning three to five years of experience. That is precisely why, because the tech person is saying, hey, you know, it'd be nice if they had three to five years, but then, the, you know, the HR person knows how much stuff, you know, and the HR person in the budget, not the, not the tech professional. So once they start doing the market research, they realize, okay, well, we need the budget of an entry-level person. And that's where that disjoint happens. And they still post it. So that's why I still think that at a certain level, there's that disconnect is caused by that. And so that's why and I tell everybody that I review the resume for, write the resume for the recruiter. Don't write it for your boss because that will <laughs> automatically, automatically your audience will be very different. But when I see that one section, and I think that's what they're like disjoint is causing, and that's why I'm scared of that red flag is because I read that bottom part tells me they're not really willing to negotiate on the budget. But the top part tells me that that's what they believe the market research is. And so people have to make a personal decision. And remember, you're not negotiating just a salary. You can negotiate your benefit, negotiate working from home. You can negotiate your PTO. You can negotiate your, um, like, like kind of what kind of equipment you can even take and use for the job. There's a lot of things you can negotiate. And there's a lot of really great ideas online about how, you know, find me. And that's why we talk about lifestyle, right? Are you okay with coming into the office? Are you, you know, and ultimately too, you guys have to walk away. There are some jobs that are just not for you. I, a lot of people who work for Fortune 500 companies, if they got into the job, maybe for them, they use the benefits of tuition reimbursement, especially when you're out trying to get more education. I think that personally, as a person who values education so much, I think I would take like five or 10 less a year if it meant that they were paying for something else. But you have to make that decision for yourself and you have to be okay with walking away if they don't give you what you want. And it's okay to, you know, and I understand in this economy, you can't, you know, it's hard to say no to things. So I can understand people being on the phone and still trying to go with the process. But that means when you do that, take extra scrutiny on any any other things that you discover during that job hunting process. Don't dismiss any more red flags. Because once you start collecting red flags, then you have to realize you're kind of opting into a toxic work environment. Mm-hmm. And I don't think anybody, nobody deserves to work in a toxic No, No amount of money, for yep. me, no amount, yep. and I think most people agree, no amount of, you can't pay me enough money to work for a toxic work environment. Like, I would just, I would just be miserable. I would not enjoy the work that I'm doing. In some cases, maybe I might, might not even get, you know, to work up in the company if it's such a toxic community. It's hard to work up to further levels if, you know, if your boss isn't supporting it. Yeah, so. and I think that the, that is so important too, that there is, to highlight one on the fact that you can negotiate other things that aren't just money. There is PTO, there is all this other stuff, but there is no amount of negotiating that is worth a toxic work environment and that at some point you do have to understand that like your your life is worth more than any job, any amount of salary. And so just kind of making that priority list for yourself. We were talking about earlier kind of gamifying the like savings is like gamifying it whenever you were younger to be prideful, like paying your own cell phone bill and some of those little things is kind of 
it is like kind of a theme, but I do think that that's pretty cool for you yeah. being younger is like being so prideful um, about paying for all of that. Um, thank you for coming on the podcast today. Where where can we find you? Tell us a little bit about lipsticks and text and where we can find you. Yeah, thank you so much. I, I really enjoyed the time. I know for me, the you can find uh, lipstick and text is really focused on improving and helping cloud computing professionals kind of make it into the Salesforce ecosystem. Salesforce is the software that I mentioned. They're the number one around in the world, and they're really growing um, ecosystems. Uh, as far as like cloud computing and they always need developers, business analysts, Salesforce admins, you can find me on most platforms um, at lipstickintech.com and spelled out people. And also on my website, so lipstickintech.com. I mentioned a book. You can also find that on the resource page as well uh, with other really great uh, recommendations that I use for product productivity and career development. Um, and as far as projects coming up, I actually am launching a admin course, uh, how to get your first Salesforce administrator job. I'll jumpstart uh, Salesforce admins. That'll be coming soon. We're looking for beta testers in that's awesome. That's really cool that you have that uh, in store. And I love following you and um, giving your advice. Uh, like I said earlier, my friend, whenever she asked if her resume was good and it was just like a big like 3,000 word essay, I was like, I think you need to watch this video. Um, and so I love all of the advice that you're doing. And thank you, everyone, for um, listening in. And don't forget to like and subscribe. And maybe one day uh, we will have another podcast with you to talk about Salesforce. But I'm so glad we got to talk all about money today.